Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva Israel National News slash radio. And we are proud to be sponsored by the S4 Group, S4GRP.com. If for a very informative weekly newsletter on politics and policy, state by state, and the federal government as well, go to S4GRP.com. And a couple weeks off. Uh, we had a log bomber last week, so it was uh, certainly uh, uh, looking at a new fresh look at politics, special programming last week. And uh, just remember the live coverage of the Salute to Israel, Israel Day Parade coming up on Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. Please be sure to tune in. That's this Sunday, June the 5th, action-packed day of Jewish events coming up. The Met Council Breakfast, the Israel Day Parade, the concert in the park. For those of you inclined, uh, the uh, Good Israel Dinner. There's just all kinds of stuff going on on June the 5th. So let's get back into politics. Wow. Uh, well, I can say the waste is taking shape, although it's not necessarily taking shape in any way, shape, or form that we might be thinking traditional presidential race. And I just mean that we have just the unconventional versus the conventional, the unconventional candidate, Donald Trump, the conventional Hillary Clinton, and then we have Bernie Sanders trying to hang on by whatever he can, possibly to win California coming up on June the 7th, Tuesday. That's the end of the primary season. Can you believe it, folks, that we are at the end of the primary season? We've been going on for so long talking about presidential primaries, almost nothing else. The exclusion is all kinds of good stuff going on in the political world, particularly in New York, in New Jersey. There's just, it's incredible. But, you know, presidential politics are where it's at and we're going to talk about them so this week we're going to once again i don't like to spend the entire show just kind of dissecting and digesting the the vagaries of the trump candidacy but wow wow i mean there's just a couple of things that need to be pointed out and again again look i will admit i was wrong i belittled i scorned I underestimated Donald Trump and his appeal to so much of the Republican electorate. And I can't say I didn't see it coming that a Trump-like figure, I just didn't think it would be him. In fact, you know, I thought, you know, in this crowd, it would be like a Chris Christie or a Ted Cruz, somebody carrying that mantle. Somebody who's so thin with regard to policy, I, I just, that I didn't see. I know the protest, and I know the fissures within the party, but, well, let's take the Republicans aside. I don't want to get so much into a dissection of the Republicans, of the anger, of the distrust that goes on out there. But let's talk about the campaign. Nuts and bolts. What is it that Donald Trump has to do to win? And I know a lot of people feel, well, he's going to rewrite the map, he's going to redo the map, and it's all going to be different this year. In 2016, the political rules no longer apply. Now, perhaps that was so in a primary. Primaries, number one, have they have different rules. There's different selection processes, congressional districts, um, caucus sometimes, and all kinds of differences as far as the awarding of delegates. But that is not the case when it comes to be the presidential election, except for a couple states, a handful of states. It is winner take all state by state for the electoral college votes and over the years it has gotten more and more increasingly difficult 
for a Republican to win the White House. Just by pure math, many of the smaller states lean Republican, while the larger states lean Democrats. The Democrats have a built-in advantage on both coasts with significant and big swing states like Florida and Ohio and Pennsylvania. Democrats have done pretty well in carrying those. In fact, actually, uh, yesterday, Donald Trump said that in California that he was going to contest California. Now, keep in mind, California has not gone for a Republican since 1988. He also said he's going to contest. That's 1988 was the election of George Herbert Walker Bush, not George W. Bush, but Bush 41, as he was effectively known, in the post-Reagan era. And remember, Reagan was the governor of California. He carried California as well in 1984, in 1980. But so perhaps, but the state has gotten significantly more minorities, significantly more Latino, significantly more liberal. And, you know, congressional district by congressional district, yes, you have many Republicans in California. Statewide, it has become almost impossible for a Republican, no matter how much money they've spent, think Holly Fiorina, think Meg Whitman, think uh, Michael Huffington, think all kinds of Republicans who have tried to win statewide in California. Now, you're going to tell me, ah, yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger did win, but remember, that was a recall election. He won a special election in California, and of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was Arnold. But let's take that aside. Let's just decide that Okay, Trump's running that unconventional campaign, and he's going to rewrite the rules. He's going to rewrite the playbook. How does he do it? Can he do it? And can he win states that that Democrats had previously thought were in the safe column? Well, I have to say, there really isn't any evidence that he's going to be able to do that. Yes, Quinnipiac had a poll in several big states that he was very competitive. But it's extraordinarily difficult for somebody who cannot, who does not, who hasn't been able to appeal to and has a very negative favorability, or I should say unfavorability ratings, with minorities, obviously with Latinos. I mean, to win, win Florida, a Republican has to do extraordinarily well. Uh, in the Republican areas like the northern part of the state, the Panhandle, as well as in the I-4 corridor, which is the Tampa-Orlando, and not lose South Florida by a significant amount. And how do you not lose South Florida by a significant amount? Well, you do very well amongst Cubans and traditional other Republican voters in Miami-Dade County. Donald Trump is losing Miami-Dade County right now, two to one, I saw. I mean, it's just a huge, huge amount for a Republican to do that poorly. In fact, this uh, week, a the RNC's top Latino official, the head of, of Hispanic Media Relations, Ruth Guerra, who is a Mexican, is going, is leaving the RNC, going to the American Action Network, which is a super PAC, Republican aligned, but she is leaving the RNC. Doesn't, from what I, from what has been reported, does not want to work with Trump and help him get elected. And apparently, a number of other RNC's aides are also leaving uh, as a result of Trump. Now, look, we'll see. Obviously, one person doesn't indicate anything; it's no sign. But there is a dissatisfaction amongst the Republican. 
elite, and I think that that's where it's coming from, certainly, and Trump has decided that he's going to belittle that Republican elite, um, and he's going to go after them and call them losers, uh, as he's done with Bill Crystal. but I would say that that is, uh, that's fair for him to attack his opponents, but he is even attacking people who are not even his opponents, and I think one of the struggles is going to become how can, does he have the message discipline to every day continue to win the news cycle, to win the media cycle, not by virtue of showmanship and who can be more outrageous, but actually have the discipline to talk about real issues and to go ahead and do that. Let's get a case in point here. Now, Donald Trump should have had a great day, should have had a great day on Tuesday. He announced, he pressed great fanfare, a press conference, that yes, okay, there were various variables that go in that had precipitated this, news stories that were negative, but he announced that he had raised $5.6 million for veterans. As you recall, he skipped a Fox News debate in Iowa and instead had a telethon or fundraiser for veterans. And that's a great thing. And he went ahead and raised $5.5 million, including a million dollars of his own money. And he announced that and announced the accounting of it since the New World's organizations were skeptical that he had actually given this money. Guess what? He couldn't just leave it at that. He couldn't just do ahead, go ahead and do that. He had to tack for a bizarre, oh, I don't know, 10, 20, you know, 40 minutes. He had to attack the reporters, calling them sleaze and slime and dishonest. And it's just, I mean, given his relationship with the media, given how much free attention he gets, given how much he needs the media and feeds off the media, it's almost crazy when you think about it, that he would let that be the top line, that he would let that be the lead story. Instead of Donald Trump makes good on his promise to veterans, everybody heard Donald Trump has a tantrum at a press conference. And he's this is like keeps doing these types of things instead of getting the positive press. He doesn't seem to have the message discipline to go ahead and carry that forward. Now, maybe there is this segment of voters out there, people probably listening here, who say, wow, I love I love it. I love him you know, going off on that, you know, criticizing the media. Media is unpopular. I want to go him to go ahead and keep doing that. Keep attacking, attack, attack, attack. Let's attack all the time. But it's also possible that that turns out a lot of voters, just that incoherent, constant barrage, barrage of attacks that are going on uh, day in and day out. I mean, Donald Trump, for absolutely no reason, went to New Mexico last week and decided that he was going to attack the governor, a trifecta of attacks, if you think of it in Donald Trump world. Susana Martinez, a very popular governor of New Mexico, Latina woman, governor also head of the RGA, the Republican Governors Association. So she's also part of the establishment. Now she hasn't endorsed Trump yet, which I I would have to imagine in a state that's heavily Latino, she's probably going to you know, have a little bit of worry about that. And as well, and just don't leave this aside, New Mexico is also heavily Native American. And Donald Trump has a history of saying very negative things about Native Americans and their character um, when he was fighting them with regard to casinos. But 
let's leave that aside. He goes there. She didn't say a thing. She didn't come to his rally, but then he decides for 10 minutes to go after her and to insult her. And as I said, you know, he got it all in. He has problems with women. He has problems with Latinas, and he has problems with the establishment. So in Susana Martinez, he had everything. But that, once again, the storyline is that Donald Trump goes ahead and gratuitously personally attacks somebody instead of doing that. Now, I think that he can win this election. It would take a lot for him to do it. I think it's going to be interesting. I think Hillary Clinton is an incredibly flawed candidate, beyond flawed. I mean, one of the most flawed people ever to run for president. She, at this point, is just lucky she's running against the person who is more flawed and more unlikely and more unfit to be president in many people's eyes, and that is Donald Trump. I think what you're seeing right now is that Hillary Clinton is just struggling with Bernie Sanders. She's struggling with popularity amongst the Democrats. She's struggling. Democrats have not consolidated their support. And she's also struggling with the email scandal. But it doesn't seem, yes, aside from the, the, the baseline, the storyline, that, okay, you know, crooked Hillary, she's dishonest, she put national security risks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that there is a coherent, constant message from the Trump campaign on the emails. I mean, there should be a a cacophony of Republican voices talking about how Hillary Clinton violated the rules. And instead, we, we have is Donald Trump and his campaign engaging in, well, the Clinton, Bill Clinton is a rapist, and the Clintons killed Vince Foster. We have to look in that, even though that was wildly discredited even by Ken Starr, the kind of the gold standard of conservatives. And it's just on and on. You just get the feeling that he just can't adopt the discipline every day to win that news cycle, not through showmanship, but to go ahead on real issues and attack and hammer Hillary Clinton and the Clintons for very legitimate issues like the Clinton Foundation, like you know special favors, like the speeches, all kinds of things that people don't like about the Clintons. But can he do it? It remains to be seen. Item number two of trouble that I would see for Trump and the Trump campaign right now is money. Yes, we're all going to say Sheldon Adelson, $100 million, super PAC commitment. Well, number one, that hasn't come. Number two, it's a super PAC. You still need to have a campaign. And right now, all it's being heavily reported that Donald Trump can't, Donald, the Trump campaign is very low on funds. And he's relying on the RNC for many... Uh, many necessary expenses that he needs to do. But if you can't create the nuts and bolts of the campaign, the campaign offices, the people who are going to ID voters, people who are going to get them to the polls, remind them about absentee ballots, remind them about voting, remind them about early voting in certain states. There's just these things need to happen, and they need to happen on a grand scale. And if you're going to compete in 15, 16 states, wherever it is, they need to happen, and they need to start happening now. You need to start investing in that data process. And there's no question that this is going to take a huge effort, a huge money effort on Trump's part. And Trump, you know, has been unwilling to open his own checkbook. Yes, you know, 35, whatever, $50 million spent in the primaries, but that was a loan and he can actually get that money back. But so far, he hasn't been willing to invest a serious dough in the campaign. Um, you know, if, if 
I would say, and I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, is if he is as wealthy as he claims to be, let him drop $100 million. He won't miss it. You're worth $10 billion. Let him drop $100 million right now, seed the campaign, get it running, staff up. And apparently a lot of staff positions right now are going unfilled that we would have at other campaigns. And Trump says, well, I don't need it. I got Twitter. I got I got media. I could figure it out. Everything. I'm all good. So, okay. Well, again, once again, defying the rules. But I would certainly have a significant amount of concern if I was a Republican thinking about the money issue and the lack of campaign organization that seems to be going on now, item number three, and we will, you know, leave this aside, is the I think what ultimate well something that is going to plague the campaign is the dividing of the well. Number one, let me just say that as far as this, most of the country isn't paying attention. Yes, they know that there's a spectacle going on, but people really don't live, you know, they don't live politics, they don't breathe politics like we do here on this show and kind of go ahead and imbibe it on a constant basis. But what people need to understand and think about is the real issues that have not yet been explored as far as Trump is concerned. And I think that they haven't really been vetted. They didn't come out into the primary. Yes, there was the women issue with front page of the New York Times, but there are other issues that are coming up. One of them being Trump University, which seems to continue to plague him and probably will continue to plague him as these court cases come along. The, a judge released documents this week, and they were pretty pretty unfortunate. I mean, I'd say I, I wouldn't invest in this type of course with these types of uh, evidence and these uh, with instructors who are basically saying that you know the, all their job was to go ahead and upsell people and to max out their credit cards and that the whole thing was a sham. Well, he could potentially be trying to, he says he could settle the case. Based on this, it would probably make sense for him to settle the case and uh, just uh, move on, get it off the plate, get it off the burner. But Trump University is out there. There are other issues. The tax returns. Uh, there are all kinds. The fact is that he must release his tax returns. Every presidential candidate does it. It just doesn't make sense. The audit, yes. Well, who knows? But he should at least be able to release something. The American people have a right to know. It's become... It's not the law, but it's certainly become an expectation amongst our elected officials that we have their tax returns. It might be the wrong thing. I'm not sure I endorse the fact that you know people should have to release their tax returns, uh, which essentially are private documents. But that has been the custom. That has been the tradition. And going running for office, you knew that it was going to happen. You knew that it was going to be there. And now you don't want to do it. It really is can be a little bit troubling and a little bit fishy. Okay, now let's talk about Hillary. I mean, Hillary has a problem, and we said this. I mean, it's that the joke that I heard last week is, you know, uh, God is looking down from on high and saying, and looking at Hillary and saying, last time around, I gave you an African, a uh, man of African descent with a middle name of Hussein. Now I'm giving you a 70 year old. Jewish socialist from Brooklyn, is there anything else that I could do to make this easier for you? And yet, she's struggling till the end. Yes, she's going to win the primary, 
But the what can she do to go ahead and consolidate the Democratic Party? And I think that one thing is very telling from this week, is which is Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown, governor of California, went ahead and endorsed Clinton. It wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement, but there's a lot of history here. Jerry Brown ran for president in the same year, 1992, as did Bill Clinton. And they were bitter, bitter rivals. And Clinton didn't forget. I'm sure Jerry Brown didn't forget. And this, you know, you would think somebody who's on the liberal side would probably side with somebody like Bernie Sanders. But I, Brown has made it very clear that this is about stopping Trump and Sanders cannot and should not be allowed to derail that campaign. Now everybody says, well, you know, Sanders makes the case that he's better suited in the general election gotta be honest, I just don't see that. As flawed as Hillary is, I think that the attack opening, the the show, the most of the country is just not ready even for a democratic socialist, and, you know, and as I said, you know, Jewish guy from Brooklyn, that kind of tops it off, Jewish socialist from Brooklyn, and it's it's just a tough sell. It's just a tough sell. I know, you know, he likes to think the polls, you know, are leading, but you know, that's because a lot of people don't know who he is, a lot of people find him favorable. And, you know, that's just kind of the Bernie Sanders thing. It's been a great campaign, it's very impressive what he's done. You know, he probably you know just fell behind too early. You know, the rules of the Democratic Party primaries make it very difficult. But uh, let's, you know, can Hillary put it together? Can Hillary get to consolidate the Democrats? And if Jerry Brown, who is a Sanders type of guy, would come over to Clinton, I think that most Democrats are going to coalesce around Clinton. It's hard to see, from, from my point of view, and the Democrats that I know, that they would be willing to pull the lever, proverbial lever, there's no lever machines in New York anymore, um, pull the lever for the Donalds. I just, I have difficulty seeing that. I've seen, you know, people say, well, he's going to get 20% of Democrats, Reagan Democrats, this, that. By and large, I have to say, this whole the Reagan Democrat thing, that is so 1980s. Okay? Many Reagan Democrats are independents or Republicans. Uh, it's hard for me to see that for 30 years later, many Democrats maintain the Democratic Party registration. Could be wrong. But uh, that's, you know, essentially what I see. So if Jerry Brown could do it, you got to think that others can do it as well. Now, I want to get back to one thing with regard to the Trump University thing. And one thing that's particularly, which I think is particularly shameful, and I've had this discussion with other Republicans with regard to Donald. And, you know, I read a front page op-ed from uh, two prominent conservatives, Bruce Abramson, Jeff Balaban, and from Five Towns Jewish Times, and, and I was troubled by it. And I was troubled by their contention that the Never Trumpers, you know, people who won't vote for Trump, you know, are are are, are copying out, and they don't have, you know, and that Trump, and they termed it Trump is the principled choice. My response was on Twitter was a man with no principles. How can he possibly be the principal choice? And, you know, the real problem I think that they're missing is people who don't want to vote for Trump are not doing it out of spite, are not doing it out of the fact that, you know, there's something, one thing that he said that they're unhappy with. 
they are saying is that this man should not be president. You put country over party, and that's you know the idea that we don't you know he's not a conservative. Now there's a three-legged stool. We've talked about this before of the Republican Party: the foreign policy conservative, the economic conservative, and the social conservative. And of the three, Trump is none of them. He is doesn't follow a what we would call a conservative foreign policy. What I mean is more neoconservative as opposed to paleoconservative. So he's not an interventionist. He's not looking to get involved. He's not looking to be project American power. And on the economic front, he is not a free trader. Uh, it's unclear what he really what his tax plan is. Although he seems to be for you know massive tax cuts. Although he's not for entitlement reform, and he's not for necessarily for solvency because he doesn't want to end any programs. Um, so the economic conservative is very difficult to make the case for, and the social conservative. Well, you know, Trump is yeah he says all the right things now or says some of the right things now, but um, you know he's not really and hasn't been with the social conservative movement. So it's hard to give him that one. And so what do you do as far as principles? Well, you know, you could say, well, I can't vote, you know, for him. So let me vote for the libertarian line, Gary Johnson, Bill Weld, and Bill Weld, a former governor of Massachusetts, Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico. And this could be the libertarian day in the sun. But we have to think about the fact that it's just... It's just, for many people, it's just too difficult to go ahead and pull a lever for Donald Trump. And it going back to the Trump University thing, I will say that it is shameful and reprehensible that Donald Trump gets up in front of thousands of people and says that the judge in the case, he hates Trump. Now, it's a federal judge we're talking about, so there should be a presumption, and any judge, there should be a presumption of impartiality, that a judge is going to judge a case fairly, that's their job, and that they have are people of integrity. And just because you know the judge has made some rulings that Trump disagrees with doesn't make him a hater. But the kicker is this. Now, you could go ahead and find reasons why the judge might not be good. He's a Democrat. He was appointed by Obama. He might not like a Republican. Maybe it's politics. But Trump doesn't leave it at that. He says the guy is Mexican. Oh, we believe he's Mexican. That is the worst type of politics for two reasons. Number one is the guy was born in Indiana. And I've seen Trump surrogates go on TV saying this as well. His parents were Mexican. But is he entitled to be an American? Of course. Is he entitled to not have that brought up as part of his profile? Of course. What's the idea of referencing, of saying, well, he's Mexican, so therefore he hates Trump? Well, you know, Trump believes that his policies are actually good for Mexican, his immigration policies, for good for the Mexicans, are good for Latinos on the American side of the border, that they were basically will support him. So, so to mention the Mexican, to play the Mexican card, is just shameful. And it's so un-American to label people based on their ethnic heritage. It's just not what this country is about. And let, let's try and stay away from it. That's all I could say. Now let's just uh, take, I wanted to digress as the end off the show. And, you know, once again, we're, 
know, almost out of time, talk about the full plate of politics. Uh, but Israel has some really interesting stuff going on, particularly with the departure of the very well-respected defense minister, Bogi Yalon, who has been replaced with a new coalition partner of Victor Lieberman as defense minister. And once again, the wily survivor, Bibi Netanyahu, has reshuffled his deck, has reshuffled his coalition, uh, added to his coalition, and shut out uh, Bougie Herzog and the Labour Party, who had been considering coming into the government and having a coalition. Now, Bibi had said, oh, yes, he welcomes it, but he outmaneuvered his uh, rivals once again and does that now. However... I mean, the wild card here is Lieberman is not, you know, is probably one of the least qualified defense ministers in uh, Israeli history. I mean, it's just, you know, he doesn't have that background, doesn't have a military background, you know, was a, uh, I think was a, had the rank of corporal. Now, there's no question he has a shrewd politician of Victor Lieberman and has been able to be very effective for the Russian community. But we will see whether this is going to be political genius on the part of Bibi Netanyahu or will this be a political loser for him. And, you know, always interesting. We should keep our eye on what is going on in Israeli politics as we go on. I will say... Perhaps he's thinking that a Victor Lieberman is cut from the Donald Trump cloth, and this might be a a possibility for that uh, you know that uh, you know some type of relationship there. Anyway, we are out of time. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class, sponsored by the S Four Group, and join in to live coverage of the Israel Day Parade coming up on Sunday morning here on the Nahum Syndical Network, and stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.